the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we're now up to session 47 in this revived series. Oh, that verse means that. Undertaken last year in 2022 and airing from January through September with 31 programs. In May of this year, 2023, this series was brought back by popular demand. To access the original 31 archived sessions or catch any of these new sessions, go to faithtalk1360.com and in the search menu go to local program podcasts friends it's important we remain detectives of the divine for the duration so grab that detective's cap that spiritual magnifying glass and those biblical sandals because each of these is critical to prep ourselves for conducting our next investigation into the next piece of armor Another crucial factor will be dressing for the occasion, suiting up, if you will, with our spiritual warfare wardrobe, because this attire is designed to protect us from cavalierly and authoritatively barking out what we think a verse or a portion of scripture means. I'm convinced at times we don't even realize we're imposing a personal or modern perspective on the verses we read. How can it be, friends, we so easily misuse the scriptures? Bible scholars weighed in on this very question. Their answers? Declining biblical literacy. Hmm. Questionable Bible translations? And preachers who don't do their homework? Ooh, shame on us. Now I realize sincere Christians overall want to know what Bible verses mean, but often miss their actual meanings because they tend to focus on what they expect or want to find in these verses. Friends, we certainly do crave our spiritual quick fix, don't we? You know, partaking of that little biblical morsel of bread for the day, almost like communion, so we can get back to our own lives. But friends, is this what's become of how we take God's word in? Shouldn't we be striving to be sure we're doing the scriptures justice? Striving to respect the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's the author and inspirer of our scriptures, isn't he? 
investing in a little extra time to observe the context and or the backgrounds of the Bible portions we read reaps great rewards, doesn't it? I'm sure you've discovered this, haven't you? What reward could be greater than guarding ourselves from so easily and readily abusing Scripture? It should bother us that so far we've identified 46 Bible verses that are either misunderstood, misjudged, misconstrued, misinterpreted, and in the end misapplied. Will this list ever end? So, friends, my appeal goes out again. How about we reignite a passion to be more faithful and more careful to inspect Bible verses we thought meant one thing because we're finding over and over they actually mean something different. And I've said it before, I take no pleasure in aiming a spiritual spotlight on or get any glee from critically reevaluating Bible verses that are brazenly misinterpreted by some of us pastors, teachers, and preachers. You know why, don't you? Because the Bible has its own story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and even average Christians do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And why I say shame on us. Well, today's session, our scripture portion under surveillance, remains Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Eleven masterfully crafted verses that are crying out, no, screaming out to tell us their story, a story we tend to orphan from one of the running themes of the whole letter of Ephesians. So today's session D is, what sort of sword should we be swinging? And why I've said along the way we should from time to time restitch these 11 verses to the running theme of a spiritual battle we're made privy to in chapter 1. In fact, friends, I'd like to suggest you reread the book of Ephesians in one sitting, but this time looking out for key words and phrases like heavenly realms, rule, authority, power, dominion, even prayer. Some of these terms are directly linked to orders or ranks of angelic beings, both elect and evil. Plus, keep an eye out for Satan and his activities against the church. This way you'll connect the dots when you get to chapter 6. Paul's inviting his readers to trace the otherworldly matters he's been discussing all along, and the identical buzzwords in chapter 6 stitch the letter together, especially the maneuvers of the evil angels, or demons as we know them. And as I've said, these 11 verses may initially seem unassuming, even self-interpreting. We might even wonder why this portion is under scrutiny in these sessions. But as I've said before, our scriptures under scrutiny occasionally fall better into the category or discovering that the text means something deeper or richer and not just something different. In fact, friends, at times our scriptures will be both different and deeper, especially after we dig a a little deeper into the Bible's wonderful languages and find that some keywords and concepts come alive and actually expand our spiritual horizons. And why I prefer to read all 11 verses of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 to keep alive this broader theme of the spiritual battle we're in. And today I'm going to read from the New Testament in Modern English by J.B. Phillips, another less familiar and dynamically rooted translation whose word choices also an expressive and vivid picture for us, looking on, listening in, living and reading it some 21 centuries after composition. 
In conclusion, be strong. Now, I'm not fond of this word conclusion. The word Paul uses better translates as furthermore or from now on. The intent here is that there's something remaining that still needs to be said. So the only change I'll make is replacing with furthermore. So furthermore, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless strength. Put on God's complete armor so you can successfully resist all the devil's craftiness. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We're up against unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power, and that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. Take your stand then with truth as your belt, integrity as your breastplate, the gospel of peace firmly on your feet, salvation as your helmet, and in your hand the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. This text, verse 17, is our text, the sword of the Spirit. Above all, be sure you take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile. Standard translations say arrows or spears the enemy hurls at you. In all your petitions, pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all Christ's men and women. And pray for me, too, that I may be able to speak the message here boldly, to make known the secret of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak out boldly, as it is my plain and obvious duty." Ooh, another powerful way of getting the point across. We're now in session D of our investigative journey of the armor of God, sizing up the armor of an actual first century Roman soldier through the eyes of the Apostle Paul in a Roman prison. Remember now, he lists the pieces of armor in one order, but I've chosen to list them in a different order, a head-to-toe order, a top-down order. In session A, we covered the helmet of salvation, session B, the breastplate of righteousness, session C, the belt of truth. The helmet protects the head, the breastplate protects the vital organs, particularly the heart, and the belt of truth wraps around our midsection, symbolically representing Representing truth as our center of being and central in all we say, do, and live for. In these previous sessions, we went into details about the pieces of armor, their meaning in Roman military world, and their meaning in our present spiritual world, including their Old Testament parallels. So, friends, if you've missed these prior sessions and want to catch up or utilize them as a Bible study for yourself or with a small group, just go to faithtalk1360.com and in the search menu go to local program podcasts we began this special series on spiritual warfare on august 17th podcasts are posted in date order so let's take a moment and imagine the apostle paul chained to a roman soldier and as he's gazing at this soldier from head to toe sizing him up the Holy Spirit steps in and opens Paul's mind to picture a parallel to Christ followers and their battle in the earthly realm against their spiritual enemies in the heavenly realm. Additionally, Paul's knowledge of his own Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, is tapped by the Spirit and inspires him to bridge these pieces of armor with key statements made by God in the Old Testament. 
Early on in our study, we tapped into verse 11 and Paul's use of schemes, a terrific word and concept from where our English words method and methodology originate. We know from Genesis 3.1 that Satan is a crafty serpent. Schemes in Ephesians 6.11 also means crafty, deceitful, well-organized evil, and well-crafted trickery. It also includes investigating methodically to adopt a settled plan, cunning, wiles, strategically manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. Whoa! Friends, do we organize our Christian lives around a settled and well-organized plan of action? Are we as methodical as our enemy is? I have a feeling that we're not. So, is it any wonder we're defeated much of the time? Is it any wonder we lose so many battles? We're just not prepared. We prefer the life of leisure, working our tails off to get what we want and feel secure and happy. But do we leave home each day without our spiritual helmet of salvation on? Without our breastplate of righteousness on? Without our belt of truth on? Do we walk out the door with our armor, our warfare wardrobe, hanging in the closet or strewn on a chair? You see, friends, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 assumes we will suit up in the complete armor of God, conscientiously prepping to engage our enemy. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 also assumes we will have a military mindset and will be actively training for the spiritual battles we'll encounter. Why else would Paul tell Timothy to join with him in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ and remind him their duty is to please their commanding officer in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, who, by the way, is Jesus Christ? And why else would Paul refer to his brother and co-worker in Christ Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier in Philippians two twenty five? And why else in his opening greetings to Philemon would Paul mention Archippus being his fellow soldier? The New Testament Christ followers didn't picture themselves wearing leisure suits. They looked like and acted like they were soldiers in Christ's army and outfitted themselves in their spiritual warfare wardrobe, their armor, ready to engage in a military conflict daily. Well, next up, or should I say next down, since we're viewing the soldier's pieces of armor from head to toe, in other words, from top to bottom, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting that for only this fourth piece of armor, Paul adds, which is the Word of God. Friends, we may have a too narrow explanation for this word of God if we only judge it to be the scriptures or even the Bible in our times. I only say this because in the Greek New Testament, two distinct words are used for word. You're probably more familiar with one of them, logos, as used by John in his gospel. John uses this word to denote Jesus Christ, who now communicates God to the human race. But there's another term, rhema, that also means word, but more in the sense of being the word for the moment. In other words, the message. This is used at times for the message of the gospel. Early on in Luke 2.15, after the birth of the Messiah Savior, the shepherds who were given a message from the angels remarked, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing, Ramah, that God that has happened, which the Lord has told about us. 
In other words, a specific message for a specific group of people at a specific moment in time. Well, let's pause here a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners to A Word from the Word that's listener-funded. Your financial partnership keeps this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institute institutional church. Please join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com. And we'll repeat this info at the end of the program. So friends, our word rhema is a really cool word. It's used some 70 times in our New Testament and translated over 50 times as word or words saying or sayings nine times, thing or things three times, like the Luke verse we read. It also sprinkled throughout the Acts, corresponding to the message of the gospel. For instance, in Acts 2.14, in conjunction with Peter's first sermon, he starts out addressing his fellow Jews and says, Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. In other words, listen carefully to my rhema, my specific message for you Jews at this moment in time. Shortly after, in Acts 5.20, the high priest and his cronies arrested Peter and some of the apostles and threw them in jail. But during this night, and the angel of the Lord sprung them, sending them out with this message, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all the words, rhema, of this new life. Rhema occurs ten more times in Acts in similar circumstances. I only say this, friends, to say that we may be short-changing Ephesians 6.17 if we only think that we're to use God's word to prove something or validate a point we're trying to make. The context of these pieces of armor is clearly victoriously defeating Satan and his minions to free us up to proclaim the gospel message. We see this in Paul's urging the Ephesian Christians to pray for him. Why? Verse 19 says, Pray also for me, Paul, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Friends, the spiritual warfare wardrobe, as I call it, is provided for us so that we can fearlessly engage the unsaved world of people and the evil world of Satan and his demonic hordes. For the first century Roman soldier, this short sword attached to his belt is primarily his only offensive weapon for advancing in hand-to-hand combat with his enemy soldiers. It's not limited to only offensive engagement, as its size and weight enable him to also defend himself against the forward attack of his opponent. My take on this significance of the sword of the Spirit being the rhema of God is that Paul may not be intending to reference the whole of Scripture, but rather portions the Spirit brings to remembrance as he proclaims the gospel message at specific times. Paul may be hinting at this very thing in verse 19 when he asks for specific prayer, which we read earlier but is worth repeating. Pray for me that whenever I speak... Words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And while Paul uses logos here for words, he may be referring to prayer for the freedom to proclaim Christ, but not necessarily at this point defining what he specifically means by his message. 
But employing both words, logos and rhema, in this portion of chapter 6, Paul may be urging the Ephesian Christians to pray for both the unhindered general gospel message, plus that the Spirit will enable him to customize this general message into specific aspects of the message to specific groups of people, like those Roman soldiers and or officials he engages in prison. Now, friends, I don't want to just summarily dismiss the possibility that the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God cannot include the use of Scripture to battle the enemy of our souls. Jesus himself is certainly a primo example of this being done, isn't it? After all, in Matthew 4, the fiercest battle rages between Jesus and the devil himself. The three satanic assaults against Jesus were met by the use of specific scriptures to counter the devil's taunts and temptations. And let me just say here, friends, that our English translations virtually uniformly introduce Satan's taunts with, If you are the Son of God... This is unfortunate because it naturally leads us to think that Satan's taunt was getting Jesus to doubt who he was. We assume that if is used to introduce doubt, but this is not the case at all. The part of speech of this word if is actually better rendered as since. In other words, since you are the Son of God... My take on this, friends, is that the three temptations required power that only God could demonstrate. And since Jesus was the Son of God and possessed the power of God, Satan tempted him to use his power for Satan's will and wishes. Revelation 1.6 says John's vision of the resurrected Christ included a number of visual images, one being coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Perhaps the imagery here is intended to tell us Jesus' words are sharp, penetrating, and could cut to the quick our innermost thoughts and actions. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 seem to support this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Well, friends, I didn't forget the Old Testament parallel to the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6.17. It's Isaiah 49.1 and 2, a distinctively messianic portion. While it references Israel, the Messiah is pictured as the perfected Israel. At the same time, he is God's ultimate servant. The key parallel statement here is verse 2. He, Yahweh, made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Messiah had already been chosen to bring the light of the gospel, the salvation message to the world. Yes, even the Gentile world, as Simeon prophesied in Luke 2, 25-32. When the Messiah finally did come in Jesus, his presence divided people over his identity and his mission, even down to the very family unit. In Matthew ten thirty four and 35, Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be the members of your own household. Jesus was not advocating disobedience against parents, nor advocating conflict within the home. He was merely stating the outcome of reactions to his words and truths. The words of the gospel message, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, would divide people across many lines, family lines, ethnic lines, religious lines, even friendship lines. This divide even threatened the early church along Jewish-Gentile lines, and why the need for the Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Friends, this divide is splitting churches in our own generation and even dividing single congregations. My take on this is that we as evangelical Christians have completely lost our sense of the spiritual battles facing us. The letter to the Ephesians and virtually all New Testament letters were written to troubled churches infected with selfishness, sin, and a host of other unchristlike attitudes and behaviors. We fail to recognize the enemy at work and play the games dealt us in the human, earthly realm, oblivious to the heavenly realm. So, friends, I submit to you that Paul wants to make it clear that there's a battle raging in the heavenly realms, as Ephesians tells us. And that this results in a battle going on in the earthly realm, a battle for the souls of the human race, and why the New Testament letters are written to communities, communities that represent the body of Christ on earth. The devil and his hordes are absolutely bent on disrupting and destroying the church Jesus built. You see, we tend to apply these spiritual warfare texts to us as individual Christians in our individual lives in spiritual battles. Shame on us! Each community in Christ must also put on the armor of God and advance like a unified troop. The body of Christ is not an army of one. Paul's counsel to the Ephesians is to guard and protect the community from the devils and the demons' onslaughts and footholds. And the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, is our offensive weapon. This is the sword of sword we should be swinging. We can't read Ephesians and come away thinking the call to us Christians is anything other than a call to warfare. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program, and as promised, we'll close with an email where you may inquire about helping a word from the word, which is listener-funded. I love coming alongside you without a church home or you who've been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net, we're heard in over 70 countries. Friends, if these teachings are helping you grow and nudging you to study God's Word more, please invest in the word mission of a word from the Word. Help us become fully funded. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.